Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Back to the front three uh, on this Thursday show. Uh, we're talking with Chris. Chris, good to have you all the way from New York. Good to be here. More people in the States than there are in the UK for this one. Uh, but I'm okay with that. It's Nico. Hey, what's how you doing? Where are you in the States, Nico? Uh, Orlando, Florida. Sunny Orlando, Florida. And Kristen is in snowy Orlando, New York. <laughs> right, Chris? Wait, no. Oh, he's done that thing where he disappears. Anyway, uh, let's get straight down to it. Uh, there's been no, I'm still here. I just want you to joke the bomb. Good. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the point is that we're all here to make a podcast, so let's get straight down to it. Uh, with plenty of football to talk about, plenty of satisfying football to watch out there, Nico, in Europe this week. Uh, and we're going to start with your baby blues. Uh, who baby bowed out and threw the baby out with the pep-shaped bathwater in the media. Uh, yeah, they they unfortunately did go out of the Champions League. Pep's first uh, outing in the in the round of sixteen, I believe. So that was really disappointing for for Manchester City fans as a whole. So have Man City let him down, or has Pep let Man City down? Um, I the wouldn't one say it's a let. I wouldn't say it's a letdown. I, somewhere, somewhere. I wouldn't say it's a letdown as a whole. Um, to go out to Monaco, one of the best, you know, attacking teams in all of Europe, is uh, is no no shame to to Manchester City. But there's certainly uh, things that can be pointed out and sort of highlighted uh, where where Manchester City went wrong. Obviously, from a specific tactical perspective, there's plenty of uh, avenues we can go down for the game. But I think one thing that really comes to mind is that you know. Pep Guardiola at Manchester City this season really has his first 11 nailed down and not much of a bench presence after that, much like Liverpool. I mean, there's not too many players that can really come off that bench and make a difference. You have what is essentially a nailed on front five, which is excellent, but there's no one really to back that up. So it's possibly one of those things that that, that Manchester City have to address going forward. And there are a lot of players that, that when Pep Guardiola came in, haven't necessarily lived up to the billing, but um, some depth needs to be added to Manchester City as a, as a whole. Well, that's not part of the problem is that the criticism of Pep the other night, that that seemed like a very, or looked like a very attacking Man City side. And so, in what weirdly, in playing Monaco, from a point of an advantage, no one could quite work out why you go out with those tactics and why you would leave maybe Otamendi or Kolarov uh, on a bench when you replace them with guys who still look just as leggy and maybe didn't look as experienced uh, in those positions. I mean, I understand John Stones 
I had a good game uh, mm. relatively uh, early on. But I think I had a good game. Yeah. I, well, I mean, you know, we, they lost three um, one. You still get the point. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, there could have been. Uh, you know, why leave just Fernandinho uh, at the base of that midfield? Why not double up? I mean, yeah, it's an interesting point. I think you make an excellent one there saying that Wiley Fernandinho exposed in the middle when Yaya Torre could have done a job, specifically speeding up the, the possession and the tempo of it and, and getting that verticality that City desperately needed in that first half. I mean, Pep Guardiola specifically talks about how poor the first half was and how that was sort of the Manchester City's undoing. And using someone like Bakary Sanya in a central midfield role is definitely a mistake. So there are questions to be asked on his selection. Um, but I think... Um, you know, Leonardo Jardim, one thing that people don't really, uh, a concept that I think a lot of people don't really grasp is that you can't make too many, you know, arcing tactical changes in a game. I think you, as a manager, you get to make maybe one or two pre-match and and sort of at halftime um, in, in, in adjusting your tactics to the opposition. I think Leonardo Jardim came in and he, made Monaco transition a hell of a lot better than they did in the first uh, in the first leg, which is something that really exposed them. Um, as well as, you know, overloading over, overloading, sorry, that midfield and, and leaving Fernandinho in there to uh, to drown a little bit and flounder. So um, it, when KD when KDB was dr- dropped a little bit deeper, that, that verticality and, and quickness and tempo was achieved. Uh, so we saw Manchester City get forward a little bit better, but um, a really good performance from Monaco and, and excited to see what they can do going forward. But if that's yeah. say though that that KDB didn't have a great game in the final third. Definitely, definitely so. I think um, it, it's almost a, a question when you look at his uh, his performance as to whether he was injured or not, but I don't think he was. I think it, it's one of those nights where he was just having an off game, and when he was brought deeper, he was allowed to make that connection between sort of the, the back five and the front five, and, and once he did that... Great podcast. Thing, uh, thing, things things went a lot smoother but yeah he did, definitely didn't have a great game there are a lot of City players that, that can be said they, they could have done a lot better I think David Silva in the first half along with a lot of City's offensive players didn't didn't have a great half but once uh, Pep Guardiola made those tactical changes I, I think we saw a little bit more from them and it, had it not been for an excellent set piece from from Monaco which for them is a strength and for City is a weakness we might we not we might not be talking about the same headline Nico, speak to me about some of the things you've been writing about on Twitter. I mean, let's put it this way. England has the best league in the world and Pep Guardiola's a fraud. <laughs> yeah, essentially, that's that's what it is, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a bit ridiculous to, to suggest... Um to suggest that Guardiola is a fraud after after one season or one game specifically, but Which proves um, it. you know he doesn't he doesn't it, have any, he does not have any Esther or Messi to dig him out, and now essentially what he's showing us is his true nature. As a loser, he's never won anything. Essentially, you know, let's discredit all the trophies that he won with both Bayern Munich and uh, and Barcelona. Those were only because he had the the fantastic squads that he's had. Um, you know, that's it's a little bit ridiculous to suggest that. And the people that are, you know, I think you need to to take a look at other aspects. But I think. Um, one one thing that we can look at is, is is certainly say that you know the Manchester City job wasn't everything it was hailed to be in terms of structure. I think you look at the spine of that team; a lot of it is old players, and a lot of the players that we depend on now are either signings or old players. So it's like I said, like I said before, it's certainly something that Manchester City need to address in terms of adding a little bit of depth and getting players that are going to fit better into that system. And that's where tomorrow's headlines are looking fantastic for you, Nico. Eighteen players find their position uh, to be under threat, according to many of the red tops and indeed the broadsheets. Um, 
that's going to be exciting for Man City fans to see such a cull and then another season of excuses as players bed in. You can't see the quotation marks I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I don't know. I don't know if as many players are going to be leaving Manchester City as the as the papers claim, or if there's going to be a giant exodus or, He's going or, to get a or entrance of players. Uh, yeah, but I don't think he'll he'll necessarily uh, use it in the way that people are are saying. A lot of people are this the is first war. position that comes to, <laughs> the first position that comes to mind is is fullback, and I actually don't think he'll buy many fullbacks at all. We're not we're not seeing the utilization of many fullbacks in in actual fullback positions. We're seeing many fullbacks coming into central midfield. Like I mentioned, Bakary Sanya uh, had to operate as a midfielder yesterday. So I, if anything, I think we're going to see more offensive players. We're going to see one or two defensive players, and and certainly more midfielders to cover. You know, know those those inadequacies inadequacies that we see you know the likes of uh, Fernando Reyes and and Fabian Delph and and those guys not really seeing time because they didn't fit the bill yeah Chris it was an unusual wasn't it one wasn't it because Monaco I mean they almost looked like the side who were coming back to uh to do exactly what they knew they were going to do in this game because they for some reason even under Pep Man City had the soft underbelly that was very exposed I, th- I think honestly the game mirrored the first one, uh, the first leg in terms of Monaco came flying up the blocks to an early lead, and then City got back into it. The, the problem was is I think where City maybe banked, and a lot of people on on social media did as well, banked on Monaco gassing themselves at about seventy seventy five minutes. They just didn't. They ke- they kept it up. They got that um, goal through Bakayoko on the free kick, and and really it was a bit of a gamble by City. I mean they had some great chances. I think. You know, a lot of people isolated Aguero and Mbappe as two players, one who took his chances in Mbappe and one who didn't in, in Aguero. Um, but it, it, for me, it's one where City have a lot of reasons to be to be disappointed. I think it's very easy to poke holes at the defence. I think, yep, they were very uh, much at fault for the third goal, that line that they held was atrocious. The, the Monaco players were practically forming a queue to get on the end of it. Um, but I think, you know, Pep said it after the first leg that he knew that we're going to have to score um, in the second leg to go through. The problem is is that his attack let him down in that regard. I think he set up almost with the plan that, look, we're not going to be able to contain this side because at the minute it seems like no one in Europe can contain this side. So what we're going to have to do realistically is we're going to have to outgun them or outscore them um, to at least keep that lead. And, you know, he banked on his attack and his attack let him down, unfortunately. Sure did. Uh, well, that leaves only one team in Europe, and that's the team who have been uh, fantastic in the Champions League for the entirety of the season, Nico. Um, these backstabbing snakes went through to the next round, and that's why they represent Britain so well. Yeah, obviously, Sorry, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, obviously. I mean, I mean, Leicester are being claimed as as England's best, and I think um, you know it, it's as much as it's as much as Leicester doing a good job in the second leg as Sevilla being so poor in the second leg. I mean, if if not just because of how how poor Leicester were at different points of the season, but if Leicester had faced Sevilla at any other given point in time, you know, they would have been decimated. And this is something that, that Sampaoli has actually addressed in press conferences that he feels like lately his Sevilla team have, have lost sort of an identity in certain games. And that's something that they definitely have to address. And you can see that in the second leg versus Leicester, their, their pressing uh, wasn't as, in, as intense as it used to be Their Their possession wasn't as quick as it needed to be. And uh, realistically, you know, they were left, uh, they were left found wanting. 
Why, Nico? Why? Why is this identity going? Uh, why is that the identity going? I think there were a lot of structural problems that they had in terms of their buildup. Leicester were able to to disrupt it relatively easily. I think in their buildup play, their fullbacks were a bit too high and, and marked by the the outside sort of players of that four four two. But you know, it's one of those things where. You know, Sampaoli has, to a certain extent, built his offensive uh, capabilities around the likes of Samuel Nasri, and he didn't have a particularly fantastic game himself. So um, I think the loss of identity comes from, you know, some some late season, maybe some legs tiring, as well as, you know, some interesting um, selection decisions. You know, Stefan Jovetic wasn't played from the beginning. Correa wasn't played from the beginning. Uh, like I said, Samuel Nasri didn't have the best of games. And uh, Mariano, one of their best fullbacks, who uh, gives them width and, and excellent crossing ability didn't come in until later into the game. So it's some interesting selection decisions, but I think it's something that Sampaoli is going to be able to fix. And it's just really sort of unfortunate to see that after the loss to Leicester, who, like you said, haven't been fantastic in the other competitions this season, uh, Sampaoli has been reduced to sort of a counterattacking manager when that's not what we've seen from this guy. We've seen Juego Posición. We've seen counterattacking. We've seen pressing. We've seen all these elements of what is great football. And, and it's really unfortunate that this is sort of the representation that we have of him uh, from the mainstream English media. Media. at least right now yeah uh just yeah. wait for them to win something or do something good or for him to go to um i don't know sunderland and uh and we'll see and we'll see what paul merson says and then he can counter on um i mean chris to counter that leicester have suddenly got an identity again uh or at least that's portrayed in a certain way um and the original hit that a lot of people uh tried to do on the guys who allegedly sort of tried to get around what Ranieri was doing seems to have died down because the success that Leicester are seeing on the pitch seems to be winning out. I, th- I think ultimately what it boils down to is, is a belief that's been present for a long time, which is the players ultimately have the power. Um, if you look at the chain of command from the owner right down to the players, often the cheapest person to dismiss is the manager. So that realistically it gives them the least power, even if you could argue they have the most influence at times. Um, I think, honestly, the players themselves seem to be playing in, in what is, to me at least, a very similar, if not identical, style to last season. I think Undidi is the third attempt to replace Kante in terms of what he does for the team, if not to the same style. Um, I think you look at Amati, you look at Mandy, they were both attempts to do that that just didn't pan out for different reasons. Um, and I think, realistically, you know, Leicester as a team, you you can dissect it in in very polarizing ways. You can say that it is complete validation that uh, Ranieri had to go, or you can say, aren't this aren't these a terrible bunch of individuals who literally down tools because they win a title and their attitude changes? I think perhaps the truth lies in the middle and may even intertwine between the two ideas and the two ideas you could argue can coexist on the same timeline um, I think in terms of them moving forward yes it looks like they'll stay up I think they'll also have a decent um, attempt at uh, going through to the next round after this but long term it, it does make you wonder that is there a point where they stop listening to Shakespeare um, and they stop paying attention to his methods and his ideology. That's that's the problem. Is that I think what people are maybe missing with this a little bit is in at Leicester at the minute it does seem as if the players have a worrying amount of power to influence how good or bad the team actually performs. 
interesting even Shakespeare ran out of truisms in the end um, and it's also fair to say Shakespeare was not one man it was a collective of people we all know that Illuminati confirmed um, Chris does this mean they'll stay up because they're just so good in the Champions League I think I think they've got a great chance I mean the thing is they're performing right now they're in a good spot realistically as well um, in the in the table and you know you look at that severe performance it was almost identical to to the type of football they played last season I think there are certain drop-offs I don't think Mahrez is as influential as he was last year understatement of um, the season uh, but I think if you look at Vardy because his game or his his assets to the team were so simplistic and so easily defined which were running hard chasing him behind pressuring it means it's not hard for him to replicate that whereas Mares really you could argue he benefited from the fact that no one really knew what to do with him whereas now he's doubled up on and he's limited quite easily fascinating stuff fascinating uh, maybe Leicester will be lucky enough there are enough bad teams out there this season uh, that they won't go down but it, people seem to think of Leicester now as this sort of fairy tale side, and in fairy tales you always have to have something terrible happen in something for, in order for something good to happen. Something terrible hasn't happened in a while, and I'd hate to tell them that sacking your manager probably makes you like the ugly stepsister in uh, Cinderella. <laughs> probably. Um, which fairy tale is your club? Which fairy tale is your club, Nico? Um, the one that gets a bunch of oil money? Um, Aladdin. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> uh, excellent. Uh, Chris, you? Um, no idea. Good. Uh, that jet lag's doing you good. Um, anyway, uh, normally he's pretty hot on those. I, it would be, normally he says Pocahontas or something, but I think Pocahontas is reserved for Sunderland. It's about a 28-year-old guy touching a 12-year-old. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know what I'm getting at. It's not funny. Anyway, um, let's move on quickly uh, to the league. Uh, elsewhere in Britain, um, Lukaku still hasn't signed the contract. This one still <laughs> rumbles on. Uh, is this the ultimate agent striking again, Chris? Um, no, because he said it. Not as much as I would love to to have a go at Raul. It's it's not him that said it. It's it's Lukaku that's that's come out and and said this. And look, I think he's been quite disrespectful towards Everton because they took a, a sizable risk on him. And again, to to almost lead off the the discussion about Leicester we were just having, you could form an argument that is it worth having a character like that in the dressing room who's clearly looking to to play in the Champions League preferably with someone else at teams it doesn't look like he's got the patience to to wait for for that opportunity to come with um, with Everton arguably you could definitely say it's not coming with Everton it might though you never know I mean that's the thing they're only in year one with, with Coleman and they're looking fairly decent made some decent moves in the transfer window um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, look, it, I'm not saying that he, sh- he should and players should never seek to leave a club if, if they feel their ambitions aren't to be met. But there are ways to do it. You know, that's the thing. It's it's not so much the the ambition that um, that I'm disappointed in. It's more the um, 
the method in which the ambition is is being portrayed. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I mean, it is, it is worth saying as well that sometimes things don't always sort of work out in the way that people want them to. Um, and it's not always a fault thing. I mean, you know, some people do need to acknowledge that there are going to be people who use them as stepping stones. Um, like Jermaine Defoe used Sunderland as a stepping stone to England, Chris. He deserves it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. He's hardly used them, has he? Uh, I know Sunderland fans aren't delighted about it because, you know, there's a potentially gets injured and, you know, playing more games, etc., etc. Um. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But no, I think, he, I think he's earned it. Uh, the one concern I have sort of with that is he is very much the central focus for um, Sunderland and their attacks. I don't know if he gets that same level of focus with England. Um, and I, I do find sometimes that when situations like this present itself, you find the player in, in question who's coming back is is maybe just given 10, 15 minutes or a little substitute appearance to do something. And yeah, I, I would hope for, for Jermaine's sake, if nothing else, that it's, um, it's a belief that he has a, a long-term future rather than just let's give him a chance because he's been scoring a few goals and see what happens. Can he have a long-term future at the age? I mean, not to be disrespectful, but can he have a long-term future at that age when clearly what a lot of people have said is the remit of the New England manager, the man that most people forget, you know, is is to bring through youth? Well, the, I mean, the, the thing is, Teddy Sheringham played until he was 42. That's the thing. You would argue Jermaine is in a similar position. I don't think he's as creative as, as Teddy was, but it's all about positioning, movement and finishing with him. And you would argue those things won't diminish with time. They'll only get sharper. So it depends what kind of forward you're looking for. This is the thing is England have not had a, a cast iron identity from a playing perspective for a long time. And if you're going to decide whether Jermaine has a long-term future with the national team, I think first you have to decide how you want to play. And if there comes a moment where they think, okay, you know, we, we like someone like that. Realistically, I would argue it's probably as a substitute, not as a starter. Um, he has to then ask himself, am I willing to, to play that position? Am I willing to sort of fulfil that role? Or do I want to be, you know, either focusing on my club career or, or doing whatever? I suppose also it's, it's fantastic to be able to get some more England caps and those sort of things. Anyway, um, on the opposite side of the Atlantic, of course, Chris, there is Can another... I just speak- oh, go on, Nico. Can I just speak to that speak. Defoe situation? Yeah. Um, I just, I, with all due respect to you, Chris, um, 
don't you think that's sort of the attitude that, or sort of the the, the 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 type of decision that is holding English football back as a whole? I mean, you're talking about a long term future for a player that's 34, and albeit you know he's good, but the fact that it's like a deserved, it's a deserved position in the English national team when. <laughs> I don't think much is deserved in sport per se. And it's more about like, for example, Isco, who's an excellent player, didn't make the Spanish squad because he didn't fit in with the ideas or the the, the style of football that Spain wanted to play at Euro 2016. And he's an excellent player, but that doesn't mean that he deserves to get called up. Just because he's doing well for Real doesn't mean he deserves to get called up. He doesn't he didn't fit into the idea. And so I think that's where England tend to go wrong is that they just call up the best players or the players that have done the best on paper, as opposed to this player would fit well in this system. Maybe they're not the best player out there, but they would fit well in that system. And I think it's something that you see echoed within Antonio Conte's selection for year 2016 as well. He was highly criticized for bringing essentially what were perceived as shitty players to the Italy team and look how far they went. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, Clint Dempsey Chris yes he's um, he's he's back in the US squad after to heart problems last year which is you know it's good for him to see it almost leads on nicely because part of the reason for for people thinking he should be selected is because he's back and and scoring goals for Seattle so it's 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 a funny one this one because Benny Failharbour hasn't made it Sasha Question hasn't made it um so I'm I'm kind of surprised um, at some of the squad selections, but again, this is is Bruce Arena, someone who is massively experienced, has led the the national team before, has led the Galaxy to success. So I have to think that um, he's got something in mind, which which will likely come in the form of Christian Pulisic playing a more central role. Uh, and do do you think that's the long term for Pulisic in this team? Yeah, definitely. I think you look at him, he's a, he's a number 10, definitely. Um, he is someone that works well in that position. The the only issue or concern I had about it um, is he is incredibly young and to put him in a position like that where he has to play a central role in what is a crunch World Cup qualifier is a lot of pressure to put on your shoulders. Um, if you've got Benny Failarbor, if you've got Sasha Kleschin with, with experience and you can keep Pulisic out wide, which in fairness, when he's played there, he has looked quite dangerous, then I, I think, you know, maybe don't take that risk with with what could be a fragile mentality. But then that's me slightly speculating as I don't really know the guy too well. How well do you think uh, the US can do this summer at the Gold Cup? Um... The thing is, I think they've got a better pool of players than people believe. There, there's been talk that this is the worst pool in, in decades. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there's a lot more players playing domestically than perhaps in, in previous um, years and, and squads. But I, I don't think that means they're bad. I think what that means is that they feel comfortable playing at home. And and the thing is, I think a lot of it was, was poor selection. I wasn't the greatest fan of Klinsmann, and that's quite... a a divisive issue in itself is, is how you judge him. But I think, I think as with often is the case with the Gold Cup and, and Nicole, correct me if, if I'm wrong here, it tends to come down by the, the, the last one, admittedly to Mexico against the U S Jamaica was a bit of an outlier. Um, mm. The fact they've got Leon Bailey could switch things up a little bit. Now 
they've also got Charles Barnes who who seems to be still in some decent form but for the most part it's USA and Mexico and then a bunch of teams around them Mexico for me are a funny one to predict I think they've got talent definitely you look at Chicharito you know you all know the names it's I just want to see more of what Bruce does with this team before I make an assessment personally I don't feel comfortable saying yes they'll win yes they'll do terribly until I've seen what he actually does with this because at the minute all we've got is a friendly and I think it was very much that um, it was a friendly bit too friendly for my liking um Oh, do we do we need to talk about Karanka, guys? Middlesbrough, the Borough. I think he could go on to a different club and do much more than he did there with with a better crop of players. I think um, his counterattacking style could be fitted to uh, to a more talented team and, and garner some more results. Chris, was it ultimately the sort of the temperament of the man that led him down at this club and sort of maybe alienated him from the players, which maybe. He is almost like he tried the same magic trick twice. A little bit, but I mean, look, the writing was on the wall last season when he he stormed out before the Charlton game. I think yeah. Karanka is is a little bit hot headed. Um, I think sometimes he's a little bit too idealistic, and I think you look at some of the moves he's made, Jordan Rhodes, things like that, Nick Grado putting all his eggs in that basket. They just they were big risks that didn't pay off. And I think, you know, when you start to turn on people like Stuart Downing and, and players that are established members of the club, you're burning too many bridges. It's not to say that he was wrong, but the problem is, as I'm sure most managers who've been in the game a while will tell you, you do need people on your side. You can't just turn on everyone or then it starts to look like you're the problem, even if you're not, even if you're telling them stuff that's completely right it, it comes to the point where your position becomes untenable and I think that's what happened for Karanka yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is it, yeah yeah. That it's a tricky one isn't it because obviously uh, it also reflects badly on the club that they are sacking a manager at this point in the season you'd hope that there'll be more stability uh, from any position or from all positions uh, in this one, right, right, Nico? Yeah, definitely. I, I but I just, I, I would, I would imagine that you know, with with sacking Karanka, and they have someone ready to go and in mind because I mean, the idea is for them to to stay in the league at least, and and this relegation battle is still wide open. So I, I think if someone can come in and do a job, then perhaps you know that stability is uh, is attainable in the Premier League. Yeah, very good point. Very, very good point. Um, anyway, let's move on to some previews of this weekend's games. Um, some good games as well this weekend, guys. Um, first of all, let's go for... Where should we go with this one? Uh, you know what? We'll start with West Brom Arsenal. Chris, it's the early kick of the weekend. West Brom hosting Arsenal. Um, looking back at some of West Brom's recent uh, results... I mean, they lost 2-0 to Crystal Palace and then 3-0 to Everton. Uh, they'll be disappointed twice there, and now they're coming up against Arsenal at home. Is this the chance to bounce back? Definitely. I think, look, you know, if there's one thing you can say about Arsenal, it's that they're maybe not the most suited to more physical games and where it's a war of attrition. Um, I think it's a fragile time for them in general because of the uncertainty of Arsene Wenger. 
and and for all of the success that West Brom have had this season, a lot of it has been founded on ideals that that Pulis has held for a long time. So that we've talked about this already. There's been no sort of revolution at West Brom this season. It's it's very much been um, a repetition of, of previous successes or previous ideals, if nothing else. Um, and I think those are the kind of ideals that that could cause Arsenal problems, definitely. Yeah, let's see about that one. Uh, Nico, uh, there are obviously some other games elsewhere in the Premier League. It would be a pretty poor weekend otherwise. Um, West Ham Leicester's a good one, isn't it? Because obviously West Ham find themselves um, in 11th position in the table, looking seven points away from safety at this point. Um, And Leicester are not actually that far behind. But people seem to be thinking of Leicester as much closer to the relegation zone than West Ham. Yeah, I mean, it, obviously they they had some a very poor run under under sort of Ranieri's last stint at the club. Uh, but for this one, it's it's really all about Leicester returning back to the form that they that and the tactics that really they they did so well with last year and and putting the onus on other teams and and uh, and sort of renewing that defensive solidity that they were so synonymous with last year. And I think um, it, it's it's not going to be a great game. I think. Um, but it, it's one of those where this is, I think, where we'll start to see Leicester uh, build up the table because they're, like Chris said in, in the Sevilla tie, they're building, they're building back to the tactics that they used and were so successful with last year. It's going to be fascinating, isn't it, Nico, to see uh, Mark Hughes come up against his old team, Chelsea, at home. Um, you'd expect that Chelsea would do something here, but in recent weeks, um, we've we've seen Chelsea go through team after team after team after team after team uh but then uh, stoke have not really uh, impressed against anyone recently have they i mean you know they've had the win against middlesbrough but apart from that they've either been thrashed drawn or had a very narrow win yeah it's a weird one i think stoke have actually achieved some weird results against some of the bigger sides this season obviously uh their most recent draw with manchester city was an interesting one um and and they've i think they did the double or got both the draws against manchester united this season um so you know they have marquise has a plan for some of the bigger teams but i think this isn't a result that we're going to see chelsea falter you know they're they're a team that's excellent in defense they're a team that's excellent at counter-attacking and at times they can go forward with that front five and be as much of an attacking threat as anybody else in the league so um i think this is an open shut case for for chelsea and another three points for them let's move to sunday nico there's only one game that people want to talk about on sunday um and that is manchester city facing liverpool man city with a chance to redeem themselves uh and show their credentials as to why they should be taken more seriously in the league after what is a a collapse against monaco um (laughs) Do you think we'll see a different kind of performance against Liverpool? Yeah, I think we'll see an, a, a more intense performance from uh, from Pep Guardiola's team. But I, I could honestly see this one being a, a rather cagey affair. I think that's what the first one uh, was going or sort of did come out to because, uh, you know, obviously Liverpool's going ahead uh, in that in that game due to, you know, a relatively low fidelity header from uh 
from Jeannie Van Eldum that, that happened to go in and then Jurgen Klopp shut the game down with a very uh, defensive and narrow performance from then on. And he did a very good job of doing so. But, you know, holding back that Manchester City attack is going to be difficult for Liverpool and, and their defense, um, as it has been for many teams in the past. So it could be an excellent game, but it also could be a very cagey one and one that matches up very well because the two sides are actually extremely similar in the way that they press and sort of their defensive, uh, their defensive-minded uh tactics it just seems that uh, one side doesn't like the press more than the other <laughs> yeah certainly so i mean you know uh, do you think because the funny thing is pep found time and time again a way around that dortmund team with munich it, they were still challenging and fascinating games but he found ways around them will he do the same at liverpool I think they could. There's there's definitely exploitable parts, but from the, from a Liverpool perspective, there's exploitable parts too. I mean, I think if you look at some of the best team, the the best things that each team do, and it, it's essentially Manchester City in, in possession, moving their opponents through their positional game and sort of uh, how they position themselves and creating those sort of practice passing triangles and and transferring that over to the on pitch and and making their offensive system pretty much pot, uh, potent against pretty much anyone. Um, but some of the best things that Liverpool do is you know using that space in behind, using that high line that teams, uh, that the better teams like to play against them and, and really being extremely efficient in their press, both because of the personnel that they use and the intensity in which they use it. So it's one of those things that Guardiola could, could come out the positive in this game. But I think if, if Klopp, if the, if the game plan panders towards his more preferred style of play, which is to be the team, not with the onus on them, to create, but rather the one uh, to press is uh, it's it's going to play into his hands. But we'll see if Guardiola comes out the uh, the better in this tie. Mm. Uh, what do you fear about Liverpool? What do I fear about Liverpool? Exactly what I said. Essentially, their press. I mean, specifically. I mean, I mean, I mean player wise, here we're talking like sort well, of. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I was going to go into. That. Um, yeah. I mean, Jurgen Klopp himself has highlighted the importance of someone like. Adam Lallana. Adam Lallana is elite in, in sort of being a presser and being a lone presser. And that's what that's what's so different sort of about the the way in which these teams press is that with Manchester City, it's more of a holistic press in the sense that multiple players converge on on one player. And while Liverpool do that as well, Sadio Mane, Gini Wijnaldum, Roberto Firmino and Adam Lallana have such a fantastic ability of, of winning the ball themselves and doing it so quickly and doing it at such an intensity and really choosing the right moments in which to do that. That's what that's what's to be feared for for Liverpool from Liverpool here, because they, they do it so well and they do it so consistently that we've seen it time and time again against the best teams in the league and even one of the best defensive teams in the league against uh, against Spurs. It's also fair to say, though, that uh, Klopp's also acknowledged the frailty of that and that at times it's meant that it's left huge gaps in Liverpool formation, which maybe with, with them were hard to plug. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, what, about the, what about the lack of adaptability from a Liverpool goalkeeper? I, I mean, I've seen you commenting on that on uh, Twitter. Um, and I agree, I agree with your comments that, you know, the Liverpool goalkeeper gives Liverpool a lack of an option at the back that would expand their play so much further. Right. But but how do you get around that as, as Jurgen Klopp? Well, this isn't uh, if you're if you're talking about from a general perspective, then that's a different conversation. But in this game, I really don't see it being an issue. Like, you know, like I mentioned in my previous article about Pep Guardiola, you know, he he likes he's going to want the ball and and uh, it's try to attain the majority of the ball. Um you know, the majority of the game. So it's not going to be a real problem for Liverpool in this game. But I think going forward, you know, like you said, um, something that I'm writing right now is is Jurgen Klopp's lack 
of, uh, you know, or per, perhaps lack of confidence or lack of faith in his uh, his defensive players and his goalkeepers and perhaps his own goalkeeper's lack of ability in order to play that ball. And I think that's what we've seen sort of against the lower fidelity sides is that, you know, there's two main ways in which you can, sort of can expose a, a deep and compact and narrow defensive footprint, which is just to, to try and stretch stretch it by playing the ball out of the back. And Mignolet and Carriers have both shown that, you know, they're not the greatest at doing that. And if Liverpool could could nail that down and, and get the likes of a Matip or a or Chan or or their goalkeeper more involved in deeper possession, you know, we could see more consistency from Liverpool against the against the lesser sides. Fantastic stuff. Uh, well, it's been good to have you on the podcast, Nico. Uh, Chris dropped out midway through because he's in New York and that. Uh, but you are in Florida. And if people want to go find you elsewhere, where can they find you? They can find me at Nico underscore O Morales on Twitter. Find me, retweet me, whatever you want to beat me. Good. Uh, and of course, on the Statman Dave football, football podcast. Yeah, I went on there yesterday. It was a it was a good talk. Might be on there a little bit more frequently, as well as uh, hopefully on here a little bit more frequently. Um, so well, yeah. on county chickens. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's been good. it's been good to have you on, though, man. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, and head over there, for, uh, give Nico a follow. Obviously, give Kristen a follow as well. An excellent journalist out in New York at the moment covering MLS. Maybe at some point uh, we'll get to hear from him about that when things. Uh, well, when he even just has a consistent connection to us. Anyway, uh, in the meantime, head over to all our social, go take a look at that. Uh, and of course, head over to the YouTube. Plenty of videos to go up there over the next few days documenting my trip to Turin. Uh, or as I'm going to call it, Cutaways for Conte. Uh, it's been great to have you guys and we'll see you again real soon right here on TF3. mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.